faithful God, you have caused all Holy Scriptures to be written for our learning. Help us so to mark, hear, and learn, and inwardly digest them, that by the patience and comfort of your Holy Word, we may embrace and always hold firmly to the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given to us in our Saviour, Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Uh, well, today, uh, yeah, a couple of loud amens at the back. That was amazing. Uh, today, we come to our last installment from the book of Ephesians, which we've been slowly walking through uh, as Dave's been away in other areas of the world, uh, whether it be in Egypt or Rwanda uh, or Dubai. Uh, I've been preaching through Ephesians, which is a New Testament letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. And at the end of any good series, perhaps a series that you've seen on TV, what happens in the last episode? There's always a recap, uh, a brief recap of what we've seen so far, last time in the book of Ephesians. Well, as a brief recap goes, in chapters 1 to 3, we read all of what God has done for us as he graciously includes the church, both Jews and Gentile believers, in his plan to unite all things in Christ Jesus at the end of time. Uh, th through the death and resurrection of Jesus, believers are saved, raised, blessed, and are secure in Christ. And then in chapters 4 to 6, there's a turning point. Because of all that what God has done for believers, he then urges them to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. They have received the gift of salvation that he spelt out in chapter 2. And he urges them to live rightly in response to that salvation. Paul goes from what God has done to what believers in Christ Jesus must do in response. And he spells out concrete implications and instructions in the world and in everyday life. He gives instructions to believers at work. He gives instructions to believers in marriage, in family, and in the world generally. And last week, we paused to think about how God's word is both truth and good for mankind. Now, as we go about living these good instructions, living as people who follow Jesus, living as people who have given their life to following the Lord, serving on his mission, there's a spoiler alert. You perhaps might be out of step with wider society. You perhaps might face struggles. This life may be a struggle. The Apostle Paul makes this clear, for he himself was in chains, in prison, when writing this letter. So in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20, which Megan read out earlier, Paul concludes his exhortations, his instructions for all Christians. And in many ways, this section of the Bible is a reminder for us that amongst the struggle, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the struggle, Christians are to stand firm, are to rely on God. And Paul places this reminder in the context of a battle. We heard it read. A battle not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Isn't that thought somewhat overwhelming? There's a battle against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We are up against spiritual forces. It's quite overwhelming. John Stott, a brilliant Bible teacher, one of the most influential Anglican uh, ministers, 
who is now with the Lord, he helpfully reminds us that this section of Ephesians must be read in light of the whole letter, of everything that Paul has been talking about, to live out the gospel. It's not an appendix for those with a special interest in demons and spiritual warfare. So this evening, we need to be reminded that right now, we Christians, we live in this now but not yet period of time. We are already raised with Christ Jesus raised up with him but we are waiting for the day for christ's return where all things will be united in him and until that day we will have a wrestle a struggle against spiritual forces of evil in this life there will be struggles perhaps i don't need to remind you of that and this evening we're going to be reminded that in the struggles we can rely on god and the question is how how can we rely on god in the struggles well i've got three answers for us from the text The first way we rely on God is by, number one, standing in his victory. We rely on God by standing in his victory. We read in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. I'll read it out for us. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic power over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Here is a list that Paul describes that gives us a glimpse into the allies of the evil one. See, Paul doesn't give us too much detail about who or what type of spiritual forces these are, because he's not really that interested in making us all that interested about the details he doesn't want us to be obsessed with angels and demons sadly some christians today spend way too much time talking and thinking about evil spiritual forces i think that is a mistake for the apostle paul doesn't spend too much time talking about that he spends more time talking about the big things the gospel but it is also wrong to forget altogether about the spiritual forces because the apostle doesn't he mentions them here for we do not wrestle against flesh or blood but against the rulers and so on it's a sobering reality that yes there are spiritual forces that we cannot see at play they are real they are dangerous but paul has much more things to talk about that christ has triumphed over the spiritual powers You see, as you scan your eyes through those verses I've just read out, cast your eyes to verse 12 and the mention of in the heavenly places. If you're familiar with the book of Ephesians or if you've heard these sermons before, we've heard the word heavenly places come up earlier. We've heard it come up in chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing. Where? In the heavenly places. Such gifts are predestined by God for adoption into his family, redeemed by the Son. And again, seen in this section of Ephesians in chapter 6, in light of the whole letter, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21, the risen Lord Jesus Christ is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and also above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the age to come. Even though there are spiritual powers in this world, we who are in Christ have all the blessings and stand in his triumph over these powers. So therefore, 
It is very important to know that if you're in Christ here today, there is no reason to be afraid. Elsewhere, Scripture makes this clear once again, that the enemy is no match for the Lord. For example, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, when Paul, speaking to the church in Colossae, uh, is talking about what Christ achieved at the cross, he says in verse 15 of chapter 2, he, Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. See, at the cross, Jesus has triumphed over the spiritual powers. At the cross of Christ, there was a battle, a battle against sin, Satan, and death. The battle against sin, Jesus, who knew no sin, took on our sin in our place, dying for our sins so that we may be redeemed by his blood. A battle against death. And we know how that story ends, that three days later, Jesus shows himself to be physically alive, showing us that he has truly conquered sin, Satan, and death. Death could not hold him down. So you can know, just as Jesus has risen, you too, everyone who places their trust in Jesus, will also rise. Not based on our life, but based on his victory at the cross. He is risen. He is ruling over all these three things. And one day he is returning. And so, stand firm. Rely on God by standing in his victory accomplished at the cross. There is a war on. But Christians, we're on the winning side already. I've read many commentaries this week and... Uh, more than one have referenced the same illustration to explain this point. Uh, they use an event in history that you may be familiar with. On the 6th of June in 1944, the, that was the day that ensued victory on the Western Front of World War II. Although the Allied troops had to keep fighting the Germans until they surrendered on the 5th of May, almost a year later in 1945, in that year, while the battle was real, while there was present dangers, while it was fierce and sadly many casualties, the victory was not in doubt. Likewise, Satan has already been de defeated. He has been bound by the death and resurrection of Jesus. He can do nothing to thwart God's plans and purposes. And when he returns, he will fully destroy the evil one in judgment. Until then, Though our struggle remains real, remains fierce, our ultimate victory is never in doubt because of Jesus' victory 2,000 years ago. This should give us gospel confidence. And if you've been here previously, something that we've been talking about as a church, about who we are, we would like to be known as gospel people. And as a part of being gospel people, we want to exhibit confidence in the gospel, have confidence in the gospel. Confidence in the gospel and the sovereignty of God in salvation, which leads to our humility, kindness, and a generosity of spirit. So in the struggle, rely on God by standing in his victory. The second way that we rely on God is by putting on his armor. Uh, in verses 13 to 17, Paul is expanding and describing using military terms uh, the equipment for this spiritual battle. Now, let's be honest. This text is the perfect 
kids, church, conversation and talk. Your minds might cast back to the time when your really cool kids leader rocked up on a Sunday with a belt with truth written on it uh, and handed it around to the kids or a breastplate with so on and so on and so on. It is a great kids talk. And while there are clear moral imperatives of how Christians should live from this text, the, the, the armor here isn't pointing us towards moralism, which maybe sometimes kids talks to, but towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. The armor we have is not the armor of this world, but God's. It's the armor of the gospel. And we need the whole armor to stand firm. And it's interesting, as you cast your eyes over the, the, the second half of this section that we're reading, apart from the sword, which we'll get to soon, this armor is really defensive and it enables us to stand. In other words, the evil one is the attacker and we'll see some of his methods of attack soon. Lies and accusations will come, but the Christian is to stand firm. Verse 13, we pick it up. It says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. It's beautiful. From the Old Testament, from the prophet Isaiah, he speaks of the Saviour to come. And in chapter 11, verse 5, Isaiah says, Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And again in chapter 59, verse 17, Isaiah writes, He put on the righteousness as a breastplate and a, head, and a helmet of salvation on his head. This is God's armor. This is the armor that the Savior would wear. The one that Isaiah is writing about. And if you're familiar with the storyline of the Bible, Isaiah is pointing us towards the Messiah who would come, the Lord Jesus Christ, who lived the righteous life, the perfect life. Though we have not, we haven't, as Tara shared, lived up to our own standards, let alone God's standards. Jesus has lived a perfect life without sin. But when we are trusting in the gospel of Jesus' righteousness, not our own, it's Jesus' righteousness that qualifies us for heaven. It protects us against Satan's lies, against Satan's condemnations. For there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Then in verse 15, the apostle Paul continues, And having as shoes to your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The weapon of the evil one is lies. Flaming darts, lies. And we can all too easily start to believe those lies. Start to think that we are not acceptable for, before God. Start to think that maybe I can run my life better than God's instructions to run my life starting to think, perhaps I prefer darkness over light. Lies to make the lure of sin to rebel against God all the more luring. Uh, Lionel Windsor, a lecturer at Moore Theological College where Dave studied, uh, I commend to you all his Ephesians podcast. Uh, he goes through much, much slower than we have. There's 70 episodes on the book of Ephesians. I can't recommend it highly enough, but he says... 
These flaming darts are the lies that work against the truth of the gospel, the temptations to do wrong instead of living rightly in line with the gospel, and the temptations to give up and feel that knowing and following Jesus isn't worth it. Sometimes we want to give up, don't we? It's not easy to keep going, and it's a struggle, but it's worth it. Perhaps that's you here today, listening to the lies of the evil one. Hear these words, it is worth it. In the struggle, we are to keep reminding ourselves of gospel truth. Look no further than the book of Ephesians. I'll list out some gospel truths from the book of Ephesians. In chapter 1, verse 3, we, you, are blessed in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing. Verse 4, because of Christ, we are holy and blameless before God. That we, in chapter 1, verse 5, have been adopted into God's family. That we are redeemed by his blood, forgiven of our trespasses, but according to the riches of God's grace. That in Christ we have obtained an inheritance, a hope in Christ. And in chapter 1, verse 13, it says that we are sealed. God will not forsake us. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 2, another gospel truth to go to, that although we have sinned against God in thought, word, and deed, although we were dead in our sins, deserving God's punishment, he has made us alive in Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And so, like a Roman soldier, you can picture it with me, protected against the arrows with a full-body shield, we too are protected against the lies of the evil one by trusting in Jesus, by reminding us of God's truth. Because nothing, undo, nothing undoes lies like truth. Nothing undoes the lies of the evil one like the truth of the gospel. Moving down to verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The sword, the word of God. The Bible, written for us, inspired by the Holy Spirit. It can be used as a defense, but this is the one that can also be used as an attack. God puts this word into our hands so that we are able to resist temptation, so that we are able to defend ourselves by using Scripture. Your mind might cast back to Jesus in the Judean desert when the evil one was tempting him. In the battle, what did Jesus respond with? He responded with the word of God. We can use it in our evangelism. We must never be ashamed to use the Bible. We must never be ashamed to acknowledge our confidence as gospel people in God's word, the sword of the Spirit. Uh, Richard Koken, a uh, minister from England who I quoted to us last week, he has a helpful explanation about this sword. We are like Roman soldiers wielding short-handled stabbing swords when we trust in the word that guarantees our salvation. Now, the original word here used is not logos, word, but rema, which means message, which emphasizes that the believer is protected not just by understanding the word of gospel intellectually, but by proclaiming the message of the gospel in response to the temptations, the doubts, and the divisions that Satan launches at you. We respond with proclaiming the gospel, both to ourselves and others. And so we rely on God by putting on his armor, 
by reminding ourselves of our gospel convictions, Jesus' perfect life, his sacrificial death in our place for our sins, and his triumphant resurrection, that he has already conquered sin, Satan, and death. In the battle, we rely on God by putting on his armor, by putting on the gospel, and keeping it on repeat. We rely on God, point number one, by standing in his victory. Number two, by putting on his armor. And our third and final point for this evening is by asking for his help. How do we ask for God's help? Prayer. Praying. We've already learned a lot about praying in the book of Ephesians. Uh, In chapter 1, Paul instructs us to pray and tells us the things to pray for, the content of our prayer. And in here in chapter 6, there is a command to pray. And before I read these verses, uh, this past year, both Megan and I have been hit by a lot of our friends that have been in need of help, both Christians and non-Christian friends. Many have found themselves in situations, whether it be through illness, family tragedy, where they have found themselves out of their depth and out of control, out of their control. And in the face of these situations, I've heard two responses. The first response is, my thoughts are with you, to that friend. Now that's a beautiful response. That's a caring response. It's empathetic. That's a response that we should say to show our love. Let's keep one another in our thoughts. But the reality is, is that that comment, it has limited capacity. What Christians get to say, we have the privilege to say, not only are our thoughts with you, but I will pray for you and actually pray. Asking for God's help in seemingly helpless situations. See, in prayer, Christians anywhere and everywhere, despite the distance between friends, get the privilege of getting their hands dirty in one another's lives by putting their hands together and praying for people. Praying to the one who is control. Praying for the one that cares for us. And as Megan says, that loves to hear our prayers. By praying to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or imagine. As it says in Ephesians chapter 3. What a privilege that is to rely on God by asking for his help. You see the apostle rely on God in verse 18. The command is to pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Now, prayer is not one of the lists of the armor here, but it's actually an activity that's commanded for those with the armor on, for Christians. And we have already seen that in chapter 1, all Christians, as they've heard the word of truth, the gospel of their salvation, have received the Holy Spirit. We are sealed by it. And perhaps the, the words praying at all times in the Spirit has confused some people as some type of special form of prayer. But this is actually the extraordinary, ordinary prayer that we can all pray. You see, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, it says... For through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. For it is the Spirit of God that gives us access to the Father to pray. Not all humans get this privilege. To pray to our loving Heavenly Father. To be a child of God through the Spirit. And what Paul is saying here that all prayer is by the Spirit. 
verse 18 offers a general encouragement to pray at all times, all prayer and supplication for all the saints. Let's pray. In other words, there's nothing unusual going on here. It is a general, extraordinary, ordinary prayer. Uh, Philip, Jensen's one of, Philip Jensen, one of my favorite Bible commentators and Bible teacher, he explains it this way. The Spirit is central to the Christian's prayer life. For the Spirit brings us to God the Father to make our requests through Jesus Christ our Lord. Praying in the Spirit then is calling upon God the Father on the basis of the mediatorial work of God the Son, Jesus. It is not a special form of Christian prayer, but it is what is special about all Christian prayer. These verses really lend me to the question to ask, what do you pray for? Who do you pray for? The encouragement here is to pray often. Pray for yourself. Pray for others. Uh, I remember being lectured by Philip's brother, Peter Jensen, um, one of the founders of GAFCON, the global Anglican movement of which Maggie Megan prayed for earlier, uh, which this church actually belongs to. And he will be remembered as a man of his theology. He's written systematic theology books. But um, he made an offhand comment that has always stuck with me. He said that he wants to be remembered as a man of prayer. Isn't that remarkable? Remembered as a person who prays. And as I think about our newly forming church community, wouldn't it be wonderful if every person in this room is known to others as people who pray? As people who know that we are wholly dependent on God for everything, life, breath, and everything. And so we are wholly devoted to God by prayer, praying for ourselves and praying for others. And let's not be afraid to ask one another for prayer. The Apostle Paul does. Verse 19, And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. It's interesting. Notice the word mystery of the gospel. If you were with us in chapter 3, again, that would be familiar to you. Paul has already talked about this mystery of the gospel. There's nothing hocus-pocus about the word mystery. Mystery just means at one time hidden, now revealed. The gospel has been revealed. And the mystery that Paul is talking about here is that God's dramatic and unfolding salvation plan for all people includes both Jewish people and Gentile people. Paul has been commissioned to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And he is asking for prayer so that he may proclaim this mystery to the Gentiles as he ought. By way of application, I'm not going to ask us to put our hands up and show us, but who finds evangelism hard? Perhaps many people in this room. So training is helpful, and we as a church community have plans in our heads of things we can do to train one another for the work of evangelism. But this reminds us that we cannot skip over prayer, that we must pray, that we must, we must pray boldly for boldness, and that we must rely on God in the struggle and in evangelism, asking for his help. In a moment's time, we're going to be singing, How Marvelous. And I think when we think about evangelism, we need to be reminded of just how marvelous salvation is. 
we need to be reminded that the gospel is truth and good for mankind. And when we see the unsearchable riches of Christ that is on offer for all of us today and just how marvelous God has been to us, nobody will be able to silence us. And like Paul, when we think about the content of our prayers, let's keep God's purposes at the center. Pray for all the saints. And what are the saints' roles? They are to build the church. Let's pray that the gospel will go out to the world through us and through others. To conclude, the book of Ephesians reminds us that God's got this. That's my summary. God's got this. He is moving all things to be united in Christ. We, you, I have been included in God's plans. We have been raised with Christ, loved immeasurably more than we could ever know and understand in the gospel. And we are waiting for his return, the Lord Jesus' return. And until then, there is a battle that we face. But let us not forget that we are on the winning side. So while it might remain fierce, we rely on God by standing in his victory, by putting on his armor, and by asking for his help. Uh, I'll invite uh, Lizzie, Will, and Matt up now to prepare to lead us in song. But let's pray together one more time. Really? Oh, <laughs> let's pray. Merciful God, you know that we live in the midst of many dangers and temptations and that because we are weak and frail, we cannot always stand firm. Grant us strength and protection to support us in all dangers and carry us through all temptations. Help us to rely on you, standing in your victory, putting on your armor and asking for your help in all things. We praise you for the gifts of, our Christ, of the Christ, our ascended King, for the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors and teachers. Hear our prayer for all who do not yet know you and your love. For those who have not yet heard the gospel of our Saviour, Jesus Christ, we ask that you may send out your light and truth through messengers of your word and bring many to a saving Christ. Help us to support them in our prayers and our offerings and commend the gospel to ourselves by what we say and what we do. And we ask, Lord, that you hasten the coming of your kingdom where all things will be united in Christ. Through him who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.